0: Well, today is the day. Back in June, we started in on the series on Galatians, and today we're going to wrap up. We're going to be in the final chapter of this letter, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to jump into a whole new series on the parables, and that's going to take us up to Advent. But this morning, we're going to be in the last chapter of this letter to the, the church in Galatia. Uh, before we jump into that, one quick thing that I thought would be worth reminding ourselves, and that's that what I just said. This is a letter. Yeah, It's often, we often forget sometimes we read this and we think this is just words on a page It's written to us. It was a letter written to a first century church, to a first century uh, a group community of Christ followers in Galatia. It was a letter. Now, the interesting thing about a letter is it's half the story. It's like that guy in the grocery store who talks a little loud on his phone and you're only getting half the conversation, but you can't help but listen. And so you, like me, you eavesdrop a little bit and you pick up bits and pieces and try to put the conversation together. That's the same thing as reading a letter. Paul wrote this letter because he had something to say to the church in Galatia, and we have to pick up the bits and the pieces and put things together and fill in the blanks, and hopefully that's what this series has been for us, an opportunity to kind of put bits and pieces together, fill in the blanks, and realize that this letter is just as relevant to us today, 2,000 years later here in Zionsville, Indiana. So let's keep that in mind as we read uh, together in in Galatians chapter 6. If you have your Bible, grab that. You can follow along on your phone or... The words will be on the screen as well. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted For the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Now, have you ever noticed that there are unspoken codes in our society? Unspoken, unwritten rules, codes that govern our behavior in certain situations. Now, that you're not going to find a law that's written down. It's just something that we kind of all know, experiences that we have, and we realize that we have to act a certain way when the situation comes up. Like when we come to a four-way stop at exactly the same time. Now, I love all the roundabouts in this area for that very reason, to avoid the drama of the four-way stop. You know what I mean. I was talking to a friend of mine just a couple days ago about this because because that's what you do your friend. as a friend. You, know, you talk about the etiquette of four-way stops. And so we were talking, and he said that he'll actually slow down. before he, If he sees another car coming, he'll slow down a little bit, so they do, he can avoid the whole thing, which I thought was funny, because I'll do the opposite. I'll speed up. <laughs> if I see a car coming, I'm going to try to beat him so that you know, I can avoid the whole thing. But you know what happens? If you happen to arrive there at exactly the same time, somebody has to do what? Wave the other person on. Somebody has to yield. Somebody has to submit and let the other car go. But have you ever gotten into a yield off? I know you have. You get there at the same time, both hands go up, and you're both waving each other on. No, you go. No, you go. No, it's totally fine. I'm not in a hurry at all. We'll just sit here and wave at each other all day long. And I know you've even taken it a step further. You've waited the appropriate amount of time, and you think, okay, I'm just going to go. You go. The other person goes, and then it's this... I know that you've experienced this. Unspoken codes that govern our behavior in certain situations, like when you open a new pack of gum around your friends. The appropriate thing to do if you're going to get out a piece of gum that smells good and it's delicious is to offer a piece to everybody in the circle, right? That's the appropriate thing to do. If you're selfish and you want to you know, hoard your gum, you go off in the corner, and you, you take a piece. You don't open it amongst your friends. Now, the same thing, hear this, the same thing cannot be said, and is not true, of ChapStick. <laughs> you laugh, but I've had someone say to me one time, I pulled it out of my coat pocket and said, hey, can I get a little bit of that? And I said, no. <laughs> you, you, you cannot get a little bit of that. This is mine. This is private. This one's for me. Gum, you share Chapstick, you don't. How about the unspoken code that governs our use of an armrest, say, in a movie theater or on an airplane? Now, this one's significant to me. It's, it's a little tricky, too. Because first and foremost, if I get on a plane with you, I'm gonna, I'll say hello, the pleasantries out of the way, but the, the armrest is coming down. I need that boundary. I need that parameter. The armrest is coming down. Some people just leave it up like they think that's going to be okay for the rest of the flight. That's not going to happen. I, armrest is coming down. But once it's down, that's when it gets tricky. Because even if you're sitting on the aisle, you say, well, I got, I, this one's mine. I know that. But then you think this one's yours, but I think it's mine. And now we have to work out some kind of like custody agreement to figure out who gets to use the armrest and when. And so a lot of times if, when the armrest goes down, I'll go forward on the armrest. So that leaves a little space back so that another person can use the, other, the you know, the back portion, and then we might switch halfway through the flight or something like that. I think that's fair. But there's always somebody who sits down, puts it down, puts the whole arm on there. This is our armrest. This isn't your armrest. They need to know that. And so there should be an unspoken code that governs situations like that. I have one more, and that is shaking hands. In our culture, it's generally a warm sign of of love and respect to offer a handshake or a hug. But I would say that there are times when it's actually more kind and more respectful to withhold the handshake or withhold the hug. For instance, if you've just washed your hands, there's no paper towels. Rather than me extend my hand to find out that your hand is wet and gross, just say, hey, there's no paper towels in there and my hand's wet, so you probably don't want me to shake your hand. That is fantastic. Let's just agree that we'll do that, okay? Two is if you're sick. I've had this happen to me. You know, you see your friend, you give him a handshake, you give him a hug, and then you start talking to him, and then you start looking at him, and you think, your eyes are so droopy. Wait, and you got such, you're sniffling and coughing. You don't look well. Are you okay? I feel terrible. It's like, you could have just told me that from the beginning instead of rubbing that all over me with our hug. Unspoken codes that should dictate or govern our behavior in certain situations. Now I bring this up and I kind of make light of it because in our lives as Christians, in our lives that are free from the chains and free from slavery, as Paul tells us in Galatians, in our lives there should be an unspoken, unwritten, unifying principle that should govern everything that we say and everything that we do in every situation. There's one thing that's supposed to be that unifying principle that drives us. It's one big idea, one big thought, and Paul gets at it in the end of Galatians, and it's care for those among us. It's care for the least of these. It's love, wanting one another. In verse 2, Paul says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ, this is, you read that and you think, Paul, you've been telling me this whole letter, that it's not about the law. It's all about grace. We don't need the law. We don't need the law. And then all of a sudden he says it's the law of Christ. You need to fulfill the law of Christ. And oftentimes when we think of the law, we think of Mount Sinai, and we think of the Ten Commandments, and we think of thou shalt not and thou shalt not. And so when he says the law of Christ, what does what is he getting at? Well, if you flip back to John, John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus gives a new law. A new This is what he says in verse 34, chapter 13. A new command or a new law I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the law of Christ is loving one another. It's one big unifying principle that should drive everything that we say and everything that we do. We should be known by our love. We should be known, you know, we, when we interact with those around us, it should be, man, that guy really knows how to love well. Or, man, she is so generous. Or that community, that community knows how to love really, really well. We should be known by our love. We're going to be known by something, right? Jim, he's the guy to go to. If your car's broken down, you've got to go to Jim. He knows how to fix anything. If you're going to plan an event, you've got to go to Sarah. Sarah knows how to plan an event. Jerry. You don't go to him if you need advice on yard work. It's just, you're going to be known by something. And Jesus' command to us is that we are known by how we love each other and how we love those around us. Jesus specifically says, love one another, directed at the church. He addresses love within the church because it has to start there. Love within the church leads to love outside the church. And love for God, love for each other, spills out into the community around us. So in Galatians, what Paul is is telling us is that it begins and ends with how we love each other. That is the law of Christ. It's how the church should operate. It's how the church survives. It's the most important thing. Paul reminds us that we're not under the law anymore. You're not being held to some standard that we can never attain. We're not getting stickers next to our name for all the things that we do right. For church attendance and for our quiet times and making sure we're there. at Christmas Eve services and Easter services. We're not getting those stickers. It's not what's most important. Here's what matters most. Your love for God, your love for each other, and that love spilling out beyond these walls. That is what should drive me. That is what should drive us. And in, in verse 16, Paul says, Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. Peace and mercy to all who follow that rule. And as I see it, Paul gives us a perfect example of what that looks like. What does it look like to love each other well? Because love can be an abstract idea, right? We can say, oh, yeah, I love you. That's, that's fantastic. But what does it look like? What does it look like to love each other? And I think the first thing that we have to realize and come to terms with is that loving each other in this space, this is the church, and the church is messy. Agreed? The church is messy. It was messy in Galatia. It's messy today. It's messy and mistakes will be made. And we will fall. And why? Because we've been given ridiculous amounts of freedom. Ridiculous amounts of freedom have been given to us. Totally free. Whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. Totally free. We've been set free from the chains of sin and death. Totally free. And because of that, grace can be misused. Grace will be misused. And so there's going to be mistakes and we're going to fall. Because of this thing that we've been looking at over the past couple months called grace, this crazy radical thing called grace, we're set free. And because we're set free, we have the power to make a huge mess of our lives. And we do a pretty good job of it. We have the freedom and the liberty to do things with our freedom and liberties that we shouldn't. Paul gives us a glimpse in Galatians of what it looks like when we love others when they've made those mistakes. What do we do when someone chooses to use their liberty and freedom in a way that brings harm to their life? In verse 1, this is what he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them, do you remember the word? Gently. Restore them gently. Hear this. There's nothing that better tells what is truly in our spirits than how we respond when someone in our life falls. There's nothing that better tells what is truly in our spirits than our response. When someone in our life falls, we give evidence of ourselves. We give evidence of the one we belong to. We give evidence of Christ and his command to love one another when our response to someone who falls isn't to reach a brick to throw at them, but rather grab a bandage to heal them. We show how we love one another when our response is grace and not gossip, when our response is love and not a lecture. When our desire is to help them where they are, not criticize all the decisions that they've made to get them where they are. When our hearts are set on the remedy and we're seeking restoration, not rubbing their noses in all the things that they've done wrong. When our hearts are broken and we want to help and not judge. When we're seeking restoration, not condemnation. Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore them and do it gently seek to help and encourage show them that they haven't done anything that they can't get back up from because their standing before God was always about Jesus and not about them you can't lose what you didn't earn god still loves them god has a plan for them and if they've fallen regardless of how they've fallen they can be restored but what if they this or what if they that i think that's what the trap we fall into somebody who screws up, and when they fall, and we say, well, but but what if they did this? This is pretty bad. What if they did that? Can God really restore that? And Paul says in verse 1, in any sin, other translations say trespass or transgressions, and Paul says in any trespass, in any transgression, in any sin, in any fall, they can be restored. But what if they, what if their marriage is a mess? What if What if they committed adultery? What if they're divorced? Well, they can be restored. What if they've made such a mess of their life that they've ended up in prison? Well, they can be restored. What if they murdered someone? They can be restored. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be consequences or complications and things that you have to work out, but God has a way of working and restoring and redeeming even the fallen, especially the fallen. What if I kill a man and I run away and I hide out as a shepherd? Well, God can restore you and maybe make you a leader of a nation, like Moses. Well, what, if I, what if I cheat on my wife with this woman that I saw and I, I kill her husband? Maybe God can raise you up as the king of a nation, and you write a song about it in Psalm 51, like David. What if they murder Christians? God can restore and redeem and maybe that person plants a church in Galatia someday and writes a letter that blesses that church and blesses us as well 2,000 years later in Zionsville, Indiana, like Paul. Restoration, not condemnation. It's Jesus saying, he, is who, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the only person in that scenario that could have cast the first stone is Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. That is a picture of love when someone falls. It should be the unifying principle behind everything that we say and everything that we do. Now listen to me, this is not a place where you have to pretend to have it all together because none of us in this room have it together. Amen? I know I don't. We're all a big hot mess, but Jesus loves us and that's a good thing. One last thing this morning that I think is worth noting and that's the last The last piece of this letter, in verse 11, Paul says this, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Scholars uh, agree that Paul's New Testament letters were, were written by scribes, so he would relay the information and someone would write it down. And this is the only time we see in Paul's letters where Paul says, I'm writing this with my own hand. And not only is he writing it, but he's using Large letters. This is like all caps, okay? And I think it's interesting because it's like Paul saying, hey, it's me. Remember I was with you. Remember me? Listen up to what I have to say. Paul says this at the end. He says this to the, to the church in Galatia. He says, I want you guys to think. I want you to think about how these Judaizers, how these Jewish Christians treat you. I want you to think about what they're telling you to do. And I want you to compare that with my time with you. Remember, we're talking about love. We're talking about the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is to love one another. The thing about love, real love, is that love always sacrifices itself for the good of its object. Love always sacrifices itself for the good of its object. True love is sacrificial. Greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Love always sacrifices itself for the good of its object. And real love never puffs itself up, Paul tells us. So Paul here at the end of Galatians says that these Jewish Christians want you to be circumcised. They want you to suffer and they want you to bleed and they want pain for you. And they want you to suffer for for a reason. They want you to suffer so that they don't have to. Because they know if they start preaching the simplicity of the cross like Paul did, that they're probably going to suffer persecution from other Jews. And so they start adding the law to the gospel, they start adding the law to grace, and they start adding the law to the cross in order to make their lives easier. And so they want you to sacrifice and suffer and bleed so that they don't have to. Is that love? No, because love always sacrifices itself. Now Paul, not trying to brag or or be proud, but Paul reminds them of his time with them. Paul comes to the church in Galatia and he begins preaching the simplicity of the cross and the gospel. And what happens? The Jews drag him away outside the city and begin to stone him. They begin to beat him, so much to the point that they think Paul's dead and they leave him alone. And Paul reminds them of that to say, that's how much I love you. That's how much I love you, no matter how difficult it is. Paul bears the scars. He's been marked, he says. He's been branded. These Jewish Christians, these Judaizers, would rather you suffer for their own benefit. They want to boast in you, make you a trophy. But we know that love's not boastful. Love isn't proud. It doesn't seek its own They're bragging about themselves and they're using you to do it. And that is that love? No. You contrast that to Paul, who says at the end of here here in Galatians, he says, God forbid that I should boast in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not boasting in what you can get to what I can get you to do for me. I'm boasting in what he has done for us all, whether it's circumcision or not, whether it's church attendance or not, whether it's making sure you're there at the Easter service or not, whether it's making sure you have a quiet time or not, Paul says these things don't matter. But in Jesus, we're a new creation. If you want to brag about something, brag in Jesus. If you want to boast in someone, boast in him, not in what you do for him, but in what he has done for you. One last thought. Church, let's not let our identity be tied to our activity. Let's not let our identity be tied to our activity. Don't let our identity be tied to what it is we do or what it is we don't do. Let our activity flow out of our identity. We don't love to get loved. We love because we are loved. Amen?